every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Country boys and girls getting down on the ball. Come on around back Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, our outdoor living hour, starting a brand new month here for Saturday in March. So we were talking farm fresh. Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, and our goal with this broadcast every uh, the first Saturday of every month is to connect you, the Arizona homeowners, with local commodities coming fresh off the farms and ranches right here in Arizona. Agriculture is a $23 billion industry to Arizona. California. Cauliflower is 62 million of that. Milk is 72 million. Something not on here though is what we're talking about today is is uh, wheat. Wheat, but we act, we have our own patent for it though. We do, and it has been on the will before, but sometimes we uh, feature on the Arizona Farm Bureau's will thanks to the USDA NAS numbers. Um, NASS, I <laughs> want to be careful when I say that, the National S- Statistical Service, um, they always give us the numbers, and sometimes wheat is on that top 16, and sometimes they're not. Uh, they don't appear wheat. this time, Eric. You got to... Wheels go around. The wheels go around. <laughs> and and uh, one that we hadn't had on there for a while, pork, is actually on the wheel as the top 16. But today... I wanted to introduce Eric Wilkie, who's the president of Arizona Grain. So we actually don't have a farmer with us as our guest, but we have someone that's a major and serious advocate. And you're the first one to say it. Without agriculture, you can have the job you have, right? Absolutely not. Good morning. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've been in Arizona for a little over 30 years, and uh, you know I've always been in agriculture from uh, from a young age, growing up on a farm in Illinois. And uh, six brothers, I hear six brothers uh, built in labor force. And yes. I decided to exit that labor force and use my education to uh, study markets and economics. And and uh, that uh, that pursuit ended ended uh, here in Arizona, not ended, but it landed me in Arizona. It actually flourished in Arizona, it sounds like. So you're the president of Arizona Grain, which is a privately held company located in Cass Grand, Arizona. So tell us exactly what Arizona grain does. That's a that's a uh, good question. Um, we kind of challenge people from time to time. It's like, tell me a part of your day, and I'll tell you where Arizona grain is part of your day, and we can play that game later um, if you'd like. Because Arizona grain does a lot of things. So, in a simple form, we are grain handlers, seed handlers, merchants, and what that means is. Um, for a f- Arizona farmer, we may sell him his planting seed for cereal grains, for forage grains, buy back his production, and then either um, change its form through processing or through uh, through handling logistics and make it available to other participants in the market. Um, so we're in the seed business, we're in the feed business, we're in the grain business, um, we're in the bird seed business. Uh, we make uh, products for ranchers. So we have uh, kind of we're kind of really. Um, Ingrained in, to use, ingrained, a pun, yeah. to use a pun, in agriculture <laughs> industry. That is awesome. And so, like my father, who remembers you, we've been retired. The Murphy family's been retired since 2004. But he would buy, he could buy seed from you, plant it, carve it, grow it, harvest, and then he'd sell it back to you. So talk about coming full circle, right? 
Yeah, and that's kind of the maybe what we'll get into a little bit today with with Durham wheat, which is a which is a really interesting story. And um, what we like to call, you know, we like to think of it as a is completing a chain or completing the circle. So Desert Durham is uh, got a history, uh, first of all, of being a very low quality kind of feed product that just didn't really realize its best potential. It was a it was a rotation crop for farmers who were in the cotton business, alfalfa business. And then some plant breeders came in and said, how do we improve this? Because we have a really good environment. So there, there you have you know, farming opportunities. You bring in plant breeding and genetics. You have a perfect environment here in Arizona. We have a greenhouse. You know, we don't have inclement weather during our harvest periods, which makes for really good durum wheat, which is what the pasta industry wants. Then you have the handlers. Then you have the universities in research. Then you um, have the marketing side of it. And so we've been able to build this chain. And when I say we, I talk collectively for the farmers. Again, everybody I mentioned, the handlers and there's others than Arizona Grain. But we've worked collectively to build this chain to bring greater value to a crop that used to just have a very low value. And that's been the interesting story. So the chain now extends from the, the research and plant breeding through the farmer, through the handler, all the way to some of the best pasta made in the world. And that's a really well-kept secret that I think um, we, like to, we like more people to know about. Um, we travel to Italy every year as an example. And it's kind of fun when you're in a restaurant and they ask maybe you get a conversation going and they ask you what you do and you sell, well, I sell wheat. And um, what kind of wheat? Well, durum wheat. What do you, you know, and, and they usually know that durum wheat makes pasta. And then you quiz them and say, where does the best wheat come for the best Italian pastas? And they never get it right. But the answer is Arizona. Wow. And so obviously, by the way, on that trip to Italy, if you're doing it annually, you can take me and I'll do all the social media, write all the articles. You know, I, I'm so there. <laughs> <laughs> and so you obviously know a lot about grain and grain commodities, to say the least. Arizona grows, and you made reference to it, world-renowned wheat that literally is registered as desert durum, and be, and that's because of its consistent quality. Our desert durum keeps global markets coming back for more, and w we think of Italy all the time. So this is a fun part, and I'm going to have you drill down a little bit more on this, uh, Eric, but... The phrase Desert Durham has been trademarked with the U.S. Patent Office, office under the ownership of the Arizona Grain Research and Promotion Council, which you were chair for a couple of years. And I know that kind of cycles because we have all of our uh, farmers and people in agriculture that they want to be on that council and helping us make good decisions. And then also the California Wheat Commission, because in California and Arizona, this is where we're literally producing this high-quality desert durum. Another thing I like to highlight when I talk about the desert durum uh, with my network is, as a result, only desert durum grown in Arizona and California qualifies for that trademark. Uh, the special wheat is produced under irrigation in the desert valleys and lowlands of Arizona and California. And you were kind of talking to us about that before the show. It's like uh, Romy asked, you know, where are we growing all this wonderful quality desert durum? Yeah, it's uh, it's really from corner to corner in the state, but it's generally in the arc of the uh, below the Mogollon Rim, of course, which is, you know, if I can describe it, it would be starting in Wilcox, going through the Tucson area, through the Santa Cruz Valley, up through um, uh, the Salt River area, so uh, Maricopa County, good example, and then grown out towards Gila Bend down through the Welton Mohawk Valley and into the Colorado River Basin. So those are the lowlands, irrigated farm ground, uh, where we have the best weather and the most productivity 
for growing uh, growing many crops, uh, you know, vegetables and other things. But durum is part of that mix. It's high protein, yeah. and color is an issue, especially with our Italian buyers. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So some of the some of the unique things again when I talked about there isn't the inclement weather during um, the harvest period. So one thing about durum wheat is is that it doesn't do well if it gets rained on because it it what we there's a term called bleaching. Okay. And and it basically bleeds out the nice amber yellow color that we expect when we buy pasta. If you bought a pasta and it looked white and chalky in the package, it wouldn't look very appealing. So it's that that amber color that we're looking for. When you grow durum wheat in northern climates, and it's grown in North, North Dakota, Montana, Canada, uh, those would be major production areas. But it can rain during any month of the year, um, and particularly during the maturation period of August and September in those areas. And they can lose all that color. We don't have that. But one of the things that we've also done with this crop, when I say we, again, I I talk collectively about us all, right, (laughs) because this is that chain that I mentioned, um, is that through traditional plant breeding um, techniques, we have um, increased the yellow pigments, again, by by selecting the right plants that express that more darker yellow color. And that is a very prized thing because, again, it makes for that very appealing pasta that's on your plate. So we've done that. The other thing is, is that we've added um, strength and elasticity to the, to the uh, semolina. And semolina is basically durum wheat that's been ground into a flour. And um, when you make your pasta with desert durum, it's much more al dente. You've all heard that term, right? Yes. Al dente, this is good. It's firm to the bite. That's really what al dente means. Keeps the wonderful pasta shapes that we see. Right. And, and you know, if you really are, if you really are into pasta, and I, and I think I am just because of doing this for so long, that al dente is important. But also that al dente helps um, and the shape. And why is there so many shapes in pasta? Because every shape um, has a different texture on your tongue and bite. It holds the sauce differently. So if you have a if you have a durum wheat that's very strong, and we say again al dente, then it holds the sauce better. It holds up on your plate. It looks more appealing. And those are all characteristics that you know um, a high quality pasta will exhibit. So some of our fine pasta chefs are nodding their heads. I know I can envision it, even though we're on the radio. And Eric, it sounds like you ha- kind of have a connoisseur. You've developed a connoisseur taste on all of this. You've tried a lot of Italian pasta grown with desert durum Arizona wheat. I have. Um, but, you know, it's you can also um, find desert durum as a part of many domestic brands as well. Um, we're a premium item because of, again, our environment. Again, we, we produce this high quality, but we do um, because we irrigate our crops. We don't rely on, on only, only rainfall, you know, present from the sky. Um, and we can get into the whole sustainability question because a lot of people want to ask, and, and I'll be happy to answer questions about that, is desert, desert durum farming sustainable? And we believe and um, can talk about how it's more sustainable in many ways compared to other areas. But um, uh, so, you know, if, if you want to ask me questions about that. Well, I am curious. So why would you say that you think, because we know we have to apply irrigated managed water to it. Why, why do you think it's more sustainable? Well, one of the things that when you talk about irrigation, irrigation, particularly if it comes from a river system and so forth, with the, which the majority of Arizona agriculture is irrigated through the river systems, that is rainfall that just fell another day. 
it's no different than the rainfall that fell on the crop in North Dakota or Canada and was used today and was gone. This water was just stored for a short period of time, and then it was delivered. So Good there's point. no difference in that resource. It, it's just the time that it was delivered for. Also because our water has a cost to it. Um, it is managed. Anything that has a cost, you know, as an economist you know, is going to be rationed or managed uh, to get the best value out of it. And so farmers are ve- have become very innovative, whether it's in their drip irrigation, whether it's in the type of uh, flood irrigation that they use, laser leveling fields so they can run a a half inch of water across the field um, and irrigate the whole field versus, you know, if you have an undulating field, then you got to put more water on. So farmers have learned all these things. Also, um, you know, uh, looking at uh, irrigating every other row and different things like that. Um, The other thing is we don't lose crops here in Arizona. That's a, a big question about sustainability is if you grow a crop in North Dakota and the rain comes during harvest and you lose it all or a frost happens late and you lose it all, then all those resources, fertilizer, tra- you know, the tractor time. They've been wasted. They've been yep. wasted. We hmm. don't ever waste those here. I never thought of it that way. So those are just a couple examples. Yeah. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields and the spring that turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown. They got him on his And Julie, I'm going to have to start this segment by correcting myself. I was looking for wheat on the wheel. And oh. I glazed over the G for grain. Oh, shame on you. Which includes wheat, <laughs> barley, and corn at $115 million. Thank you. Of the Ag Wheel for Arizona. Yay. And, uh, you, Eric, you were mentioning that we don't lose a lot of crops. And it was really interesting because I had pulled this article from the Wall Street Journal talking about the record number of corn and soybeans that are getting planted in America this year. 182. 2 million acres, up 8 million acres over last year, of corn corn and soybean are going in uh, to meet demand. A big part of that demand is exporting it to China, who's trying to rebuild their hog herd that was decimated by the African flying flu in 2019. Isn't that and, wild? And uh, this one farmer out of Ripley, Iowa, had 500,000, I can't even imagine that, $500,000 of damage from, uh, and I've never even heard this, where, you know, we've, Haboob has suddenly appeared from monsoons out of here, but I, over there they've got uh, Draco. You're yeah. from Illinois. You, you, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a phenomenon that happens, and it's, it's, it had a big impact this year, um, particularly in Iowa. It, it did hit a wider area, but Iowa was, was majorly impacted, and and changed our supply on a national level last year. What is Draco? It's a fast-moving summer wind capable of hurricane-strength f- hurricane winds. Kind of like a monsoon without the rain, huh? Yeah. Wow. So, and just to that one farmer in Ripley, a, yeah. a half a million-dollar damage. And to Eric, your, Eric, to your point, you just said on the break that our wheat farmers are probably losing less than 1%. Of their wheat crop to possibly insects or something or what? Abandonment. Um, Aban- and it could be abandonment for, I'm just going to use it for any reason. It, you know, it might be they lost an irrigation well. Um, you know, electricity wasn't available. Uh, it could be it could be insects or pests. We have very few of those. That's another value of, of why, our, why our Durham is so good. We have very, very few uh, pressures from, from the environment. Um, so... Uh, Again, but, we don't, uh, you know, when I talked about other uh, other ways that we would lose a crop, again, um, it, and it, it might be uh, early frost or late frost. 
Whereas in other production areas, yeah. they, they have had losses of, of 20 and 30 percent, um, whether that's a drought and they can't turn irrigation on, they don't have it. Um, it might be a derecho or uh, I, I, I've never quite heard, heard, I don't quite know how to pronounce that word, but I, I've heard it derecho, so that's what I'll say. Um, and that was the first time I ever read it, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not saying it right. All those things, you know, uh, infestation of grasshoppers and different things like that, hailstorms, those just aren't really present in our crops in, in Arizona, the same way. Like you said, we're kind of in a greenhouse here in the state. So I absolutely, even more so than ever before, Eric, believe that we're sustainable farmers here in Arizona. Other fun things, uh, speaking to that uh, point, even with the weather, desert Durham typically enters the market up to three months ahead of the spring Durham crops harvested in other North American Durham producing areas. And again, desert Durham can only be identified in California and Arizona. We've literally patented that. And desert Durham is delivered identity preserved to the U.S. domestic and export markets, a system that allows buyers to purchase grain of varieties having intrinsic quality parameters specific to their needs. I thought, hmm, that's quite interesting. And then, of course, we have annual production requirements. Uh, they can be contracted ahead. And no wonder you moved to Arizona. It's fascinating. I mean, <laughs> with what we can do on our farms. Um, the other thing that I thought was fascinating I wrote down is Desert Durham averages an annual export rate of 50%, especially exported to Italy to make pasta. So let's talk about that, the whole export. Uh, we celebrate local markets, fill your plate, Arizona f- Farm Bureau's fillyourplate.org celebrates the local market, our farmer's markets, farms you can visit. But why is it so important for us to have this kind of a robust export market, especially with our desert Durham? Well, again, we we find the best value for desert Durham in, in, in a person who's looking to protect the highest quality brands. If, if a company is trying to produce pasta that is trying to be the lowest cost producer on the shelf, okay, Desert Durham fits some years, but some years it doesn't. Um, the export market to Italy, um, where, where there are very high quality brands, the value of that brand is the quality. And so they, they historically have put a higher value on Desert Durham. I think you always have to have a mix. You don't want to be relying on just, you know, just one market. Um, so there's always been a development of, mar- of you know, a wide range of markets. Um, so, so really, I think um, having a diverse market is always good economically. Awesome. It's the Farm Fresh Hour here at Rosie on the House with Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for Arizona Farm Beer, and Eric Wilkie. Wilkie, it's the Arizona Grain.com. Am I on the right website here? Arizona yeah, Arizona Grain.com. Mm-hmm. Now, I know the last thing a lot of the rural farmers want to do is drive into town. But you might have a reason to this weekend. If you've been thinking you had a need for a backup generator at the Maricopa County Home Show today at Cardinal Stadium, Rosie on the House certified partner Fox Valley Electric is showcasing the Kohler backup power generators. And of everyone that stops by the booth this weekend, they will be drawing for an install of a free 8-kilowatt generator backup generator. These Kohler is a great American-made product, and Fox Valley Electric is your local installer. 
And you can save up to $1,000 if you make a commitment on purchasing uh, sometime over the course of the home show, which is today and tomorrow. You can go to MaricopaCountyHomeShows.com and print off a $2 admission ticket. It is free parking, and I believe it is today. It uh, opens at 10, and then tomorrow the same, it goes till 6. So if a backup generator is something you've been eyeballing, it's a great opportunity to stop by, save a little money on one, or uh, just might one person's going to get just lucky enough to win one. Stop by the booth at Fox Valley Electric, talk to owner Mr. Randy Cole, and let him know you're interested in a backup generator for your home castle cabin or maybe your farm, a well pump. Some of our farmers and I, certainly some of our ranchers way out there would like a backup generator. <laughs> Always need one. You know, uh, we were talking about the highly regarded protein strength of the desert durum that we grow here in Arizona and those uh, development of those different pastas and Italy loves it. But I hear that a local brewer, Arizona Distilling Company, produces Arizona's first ever grain two-bottle whiskey using the Desert Durham, correct? Yes. Um, they uh, approached us and asked us about a source of Durham that they could use to make, uh, make their signature whiskey. And uh, it's always been a hit when we've, when we've uh, offered it to some of our um, Durham wheat customers. And uh, I believe there's one other, um, one other company in the distilling business, Adventurous Stills, I think, which is also here in the Valley, um, that also uses Desert Durham to make a whiskey. And is it a good whiskey? Um, I have sampled it. I can't claim that I'm an, a, a, you know, an aficionado of, of whiskey, but, I, but, it's, but it's always been a hit by people who know. Oh, wow. Cool. So um, on that topic, uh, our listeners, I know one of the questions that keeps popping up in their head is, how can I make sure that I'm getting Arizona Desert Durham if it's this high quality and our Italian pasta makers are producing it? Well, probably one of the easiest ways to do it, of course, there are some local companies, and and I'll try to at least mention one of them. Um, If you're looking for an Italian pasta, uh, most of the major supermarket chains uh, here in the Valley sell a brand called DiCecco. Yes. And they were the original um, company, along with Barilla, which is the world's largest pasta company, that came to the desert to buy Desert Durham. And so if you're um, buying a DiCecco pasta, you can be assured you're getting... Um, Desert Durham. I, I will comment that there are very few brands of pasta made exclusively from Desert Durham, um, be simply because that the strength of that wheat that I talked about and is um, makes for such a strong pasta. There's a company in Italy called Pasta Coco, and I know that sounds a little weird. It doesn't have chocolate in it. Uh, it's just that's their name, and um, they do make it with 100%. It's a boutique pasta. It is so firm. It says cook 15 minutes. Or it says, you know, for a, you know, for certain shapes, or for a spaghetti, for instance, it'll say cook eight minutes. I would challenge anybody here to eat that pasta after eight minutes and think that it wasn't way too al dente, and that's really the strength. You can adjust by cooking times if you'd like. Uh, Hayden Flour Mill here yes. um, in Queen Creek, and and you may have talked to them on this show. I'm not sure, but they are a local flour mill. They do a lot of different products, but they do also produce a Desert Durham semolina. Fun. And they also do some of the ancient grains, by the way. Right. Yeah. So I, they, they mill a lot of products, um, you know, and uh, so they have a wide range of products. But, I, but specifically, they, they would be a source if you bought a semolina made from them or a pasta made with their flour or with their semolina, you would be getting desert durum. So 
my chances then, if I'm buying some of the pasta in the grocery stores, it's fairly decent that I might be getting the desert dinner. Yeah, for, for instance, Barilla, which I mentioned is the world's largest pasta maker, they now have a plant in Ames, Iowa. They buy wheat from Arizona and mill it and make pasta at Ames, Iowa. We like to say, you know, Desert Durham, again, as I mentioned, is difficult to make a pasta product exclusively from Desert Durham because it's so strong. But what you find is that the high-quality brands, they use it as a percentage of their semolina. And it's kind of like the old German um, uh, chemical company that had an ad somewhere that went along the lines of, we don't make the products, we make the products you use better. That's Desert Durham's role. We make all the rest of the world's Durham wheat better by using a portion of ours. We improve their quality in the process. So we've been talking a lot about Desert Durham. That was the focus. Uh, but what are some of the other grains and what are the commodity markets like right now? Well, the c- commodity markets are kind of on a bull run here. And you could go back to last January. Um, I actually got to go to the White House and be present for the signing of Phase 1 China trade deal. And as, as you may recall, that that trade deal um, st- Part of the part of the feature is is the Chinese agreed to buy approximately thirty billion dollars of U.S. Agri- agriculture products every year for at least the first two years, and we're seeing that now. They have bought a record amount of U.S. corn, almost twenty million metric tons, whereas a year before they bought less than one. Soybeans, they're going to buy um, in excess of thirty million tons this year. The year before it was a fraction of that. So we are seeing that demand for for corn and for soybeans. And you spoke about it earlier, you know, about the the increase in acres for next year. And that's really kind of being driven by China. There's always weather and there's always factors. But the commodity markets are strong. Cotton has hit a record price in probably the last seven or eight years. That's very good for the for the Arizona farmer. As long as it stays at that price. <laughs> if you either make a marketing decision or we want it to stay there. Right. But uh, right. again, we're riding a pretty big wave. And and it's always interesting is what creates that wave? Is it is it an econo- is it economic recovery from COVID? Is it stimulus money that's coming into the market? Is it supply and demand impacts of South America and having production issues or or Australia the year before having a major production issue in the wheat areas? Um, the Black Sea, Russia, Ukraine, are, are they going to have exportable surpluses? Those are all factors, and there's never just one. China is a big driver right now, but it's just really a, a kind of a mix. And um, right now, I'm pretty optimistic about prices um, for this next for this next season. And I think you know farmers are voting with uh, with their acres and putting more of these crops in that they see higher prices for. And looking at the ag wheel that Arizona Farm Bureau put together, it seems like. And, and I may be wrong, but just from a quick observation, you had mentioned all the different areas that you could grow Durham wheat around Wilcox. You know, you're, you're over 3,000 feet above elevation there. Um, Maricopa, Casa Grande, you know, you're down under 500 feet some places. There's not a lot of other row crops on this wheel that could grow in that different kind of elevation. Like all the lettuce that comes out of Yuma, you couldn't do that in Wilcox. Uh, the cantaloupe, you couldn't take that cantaloupe from Harquahela and go duplicate that in Wilcox. So the ability to plant this in a lot of different uh, elevations throughout Arizona seems to give it a, an advantage over a lot of these other 
Yeah, wheat does have a lot of flexibility to it, and you, you really pointed out some some correct and interesting features. But wheat again is pretty versatile. That you have to adjust planting times. Um, say in the Yuma Valley, you have a much wider planting window. You can start planting in mid-November, and you can plant all the way to February and still get a viable crop. And, you know, if you go to Wilcox, where there's higher elevation, you have frost dates. But it's the same wheat crop. It's the same varieties that can be grown in, in Yuma as they are in Wilcox. And it does make it universally available to farmers as a rotation. You know, one way you look at wheat, just let's take wheat in particular, um, farmers aren't in Arizona aren't exclusively wheat farmers. There, it's a it's a cash crop that's used to improve the soils and provide income in the counter season to their main crops, whether that be corn, whether that be lettuce, whether that be alfalfa, cotton, uh, cotton, absolutely. So it's a rotation, um, but so it needs to be flexible because it's got to be able to grow in all those areas as a rotation. What are the other grains that Arizona Grain deals with? If, you know, for the big ones, we deal with corn. That's our biggest. We handle about, you know, one and a half to two million tons. Um, and corn's pretty versatile, too. But what you're seeing growing in Maricopa County is not the same corn seed that you're seeing growing up in Snowflake at a higher elevation. So the Durham, though, that's the exact same seed across all elevations. Yeah, again, very flexible. You know, if you make those adjustments on corn, you got to go to shorter season corn. It's a different variety, and, and it's it's not the universal uh, thing that we would have with our wheat crops. So, um, again, gr- gives a lot of flexibility, um, gives farmers options. Now, what is it, me- is it measured in bushels? Bushels is a weird number. Yeah, it's... <laughs> well, how many bushels per acre could you get on an ideal harvest? The average in Arizona is about 110, okay, or around three metric tons. And it it drives people nuts when you start talking about pounds, bushels, (laughs) 100 weights. And and when you try to have a person envision what a bushel is, I mean, hopefully they've seen a peach basket or an apple basket. You know, those are basically a bushel. It's 1.244 cubic feet. Uh, It's an old measurement. It's easy to do things in pounds. Um, And and some is just tradition based on how does the risk management markets work? You know, are they using bushels or tons? Uh, But, uh, yeah, there's always the argument about uh, my wheat weighs more, so I should have, you know, you're only paying me by the bushel. Well, you're actually being paid by the pound. It's a fun argument. I guess there can be, uh, as they say, there can be two truths to, to to one, you know, one fact. So you know a lot about grain. You know a lot about Desert Durham. You guys are pasta lovers. Does your family make a lot of pasta? You know, my daughter and my son have uh, have become pasta makers. They buy semolina, and actually, uh, we actually had during COVID. My daughter goes to school in in Flagstaff. We had um, we had a pasta night, and we each had our pasta production going uh, via Zoom. And uh, of course, you know there was quite a contest who was making the best looking pasta as well as the best tasting. Who won? Uh, it, well, you know, since the, the judges were all dispersed and couldn't cross-taste, uh, I think we called it a draw. But it was a smorgasbord of pasta that night, I can tell you. Going back to what how the touch points that Arizona Grain has, you were kind of hinting to how you describe the supply chain. And can you cycle through that a little bit more? Yeah, so... Maybe let's just start with the seed because you got to plant the seed to get anything else. So research companies have specialized in breeding Durham to improve those characteristics that are most valuable to the pasta maker. So that's the, maybe the beginning point. Then you have to have a farmer who's knowledgeable and willing to grow that wheat in a manner that produces the best quality. And we have the best farmers in the world in Arizona 
Um, they, are, they are students of their business. They don't squander resources. They're ideal. And then we have that climate. We have that climate that, as I mentioned, is kind of like the greenhouse. We get 350 days of sunshine. Can't ask for better. Then you have the handlers, which are very efficient. They have invested in their facilities. They, they move the products in the most efficient ways. Um, and you have um, the marketing side of it. You also have the universities who have done a tremendous amount of research to the benefit of the pasta industry and, and, and the farming of Durham wheat. So that's kind of the connection. So all the way from seed farmers, handlers, marketing to the end user. It's that grain supply chain. And yeah, every link in the chain is very dependent on the, the next link on either side of it. It's kind of an ecosystem, it, as I like to say. It really is an ecosystem. I loved what you said about our farmers. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, every farmer I know is constantly educating themselves on the latest, the greatest, the best, whether that be seed technology, equipment technology, even especially with our watering. It's it's an amazing story that we tell here in Arizona, and I love what you've the insights you've given us about the sustainability issue too, because that's such an important word to so many of our Arizona families today. We're talking Durham wheat, our farm fresh commodity for this broadcast, with spokeswoman Julie Murphy from the Arizona Farm Bureau and Eric Wheat Wilkie of Arizona Grain Company. On the farm, it's the spot. Hang with my dad, we work a lot, huh? Not stop when it's time to go. When we move that grain, man, it's quite the show. Dawn to dusk, days are full. Blue jeans, ball cap, cause that's how I roll. All year long, we've watched it grow. Now we're rolling. Harvest flow, yo. This has got to be the Peterson Farm like Brothers. If you're not familiar with them, they have a YouTube channel, and they make uh, they take popular songs and make parodies as it relates to farming, and it's pretty entertaining. Oh, they they're do a great! Good job. I've actually met them. They're I, good, good young. I watch them and Midwest they're farmers, and the amount of production that goes into their videos i'm like how do they still have time to farm <laughs> i know <laughs> some serious time commitment yeah. they've got into these it is a family <laughs> affair <laughs> well technology is constantly changing our lives and that's no different for agriculture i grabbed an article this week uh actually no this was a couple weeks ago but it talks about a new ai technology that observes the salmon's behavior and it helps them adjust their feeding and it produced their yield by 1%. Now, 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but the example they used here was Norway. And to Norway, their salmon export is worth $11 billion. Who wouldn't take 1% of 11, of 11 billion? dollars? <laughs> and Eric, you had a good point about that too, just when you factor in, you know, that 1% increase and then... Yeah, 1% increase and, you know, you look at what the margin may be on that and that 1% on the whole could be, you know really 10% of your margin. So, you know, who wouldn't take a 10% margin increase? Yes, especially if your margins are tight. So we've been talking a lot about Durham, des desert Durham wheat, flipping it there. Um, you had a caller that was asking if she could plant it in her backyard, right? Correct. And so Eric has to answer that question. Absolutely, you could. Um, I would suggest that it's getting a little late, depending, but of course that depends where the caller was at, because again, as you as you've said, we've got different climate zones here in Arizona. Um, you know, you want the you want the wheat to be maturing uh, before the blast of heat or, or flowering, because wheat goes through a flowering stage, and um, the pollen is susceptible to drying. So if it's very hot, and very hu or uh, very uh, low humidity, you, you can uh, decrease the pollination. Therefore, the output of the wheat. But ideally, planting it, let's say if in the in the Maricopa County area, you'd plant 
you know, any time up till probably mid-January. Um, you could go a little later, and you'll get a harvest of a wheat crop in by the 1st of June, typically. And you can take that wheat, thrash it out, and you can grind it and make pasta. And assuming they are trying to make pasta, um, and this might be uh, a question for one of the farmers that grow grow it, but, I mean, they're going to need more than 100 square feet of wheat to you know, yeah. make it worth their time and their harvest to grind all that out. What do you think she needs to grow? You know, I, I think you could probably grow a, a, a five foot wide by ten foot long, and you would have mm. you would have a lot. You'd have twenty pounds to thirty pounds of oh, wheat wow. potentially. Okay. And to me, you know, that's when you grind that down, you're going to get about uh, sixty-eight to seventy percent of that would be semolina. Um, if you know, you could make it with a hundred percent or whole grain, but you know, about sixty-eight or seventy percent uh, refined semolina, and that you know, that's going to make a lot of pasta. Okay, more than more than a family would probably eat in a year. And do y'all sell direct to consumers, or is it direct to farmers? Yeah, you know, we're on an we're on a large scale. Um, if somebody you know had a special interest, and and uh, we, we would try to meet it, but um, we we really sell in in bulk quantities, semi loads. I mean, a farmer needs to, you know, if he's going to plant a thousand acres, uh, you know, he's going to have six semi-loads of seed. six semi loads <laughs> of seed going to that farm. You know, potentially. I mean, I'm doing that roughly in my head, but yeah, it's a lot. So um, we're not a, really a retail operation, but um, yeah, it it can. Uh, if somebody wants to grow it, it, it could be had. Okay. And you you may have earlier, but did you list the different types of uh, grain that Arizona grain so-called manages? Yeah. So um, again, corn was the largest one. Uh, that's used in our feed in our feed production. That goes to the dairy cows, to the poultry operations, to the to the feed yards, uh, you know, for beef production. Um, so then there's milo or sorghum. They're just used interchangeably. That's a crop that's been grown uh, historically for a very long time. It's it's a pretty significant production in past years in Arizona. It's more drought tolerant than corn. Um, it has probably a wider range of applicability when you think about climate zones and things like that. It has some disease resistance, which makes it kind of appealing, but probably its low water uses its most appealing. Then you have you have Durham, which we've talked about. Then you have spring wheat, which is used to make flour, which you would make bread with, your typical breads. And by the way, as a footnote, you can make really good bread from Durham wheat flour. It's going to be very heavy. It's very artistic, you know, artisan style. It has a very rich, full kind of flavor. Um, But there's places in Italy, there's one town called Altamura, and their bread is made from semolina, and it's that's their signature. Wow. Um, so if you ever get the experience to have bread made from Durham wheat flour, it's fantastic. So we need to alert our some of our high, high sh- uh, restaurant chefs and let them know that they can make really quality bread out of the desert exactly. Durham. I think of the Bianco brothers and their restaurants and some of the other restaurants here That's that right. make their own bread. So some of the other grains, I think you would have barley, which is um, used for feed typically, but there's also malt barleys that are grown here but for the brewing industry, for the microbrewing and uh, industry, and for the distilling industry it's used. Um, there's millets, um, and then they get into a lot of very, very uh, a lot of other specialty grains. We also have oil seeds as well. Eric Wilkie of Arizona Grain Company, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us in this hour. Julie Murphy, Arizona Farm Bureau spokeswoman, will be back May. Oh, I jumped ahead two weeks, two months. I'm sorry, but uh, we're talking Arizona pork in April. But I really like this one. It kind of comes back to grain in May. We're talking Arizona microbreweries. Oh, yes. Those are our upcoming farm fresh topics. You can go to fillyourplate.org for all things Farm Bureau related.